0: Good morning, good morning, good morning. Welcome to the fall, winter semester of the Institute, the Kindness Principle, the Jewish formula for developing kindness, or the Jewish idea of kindness and how we implement it into our daily life. I mean, the English definition of kindness doesn't really tell you much. It's the quality of being friendly, generous, and considerate. Uh, it's, it's much more than that. The Hebrew word for kindness is chesed. But very often, we use the term for kindness, not chesed, which simply means kindness, But gemilut chasadim, or gemilus chasadim, if you use the Ashkenazic pronunciation, which literally means bestowing kindnesses. So two two differences. Number one, it's not kindness, it's bestowing kindness, action. Number two, it's not singular kindness, it's kindnesses. Chasadim is plural. So what does that tell you? It tells you two things. Number one, if you are a kind person at heart and you have the ability to be kind and you're not, there's not much stock you can put into that kindness. That's the modern form of kindness. I really feel your pain. I really feel bad for you, but I'm not going to do anything about it. That's not what Jewish kindness is all about. It has to be bestowing kindness, acting kind. Yeah, there are times when you feel I want to help someone, I want to be kind, but I can't. <clears throat> Person is not well; they're physically, you know, incapacitated. So they can't do the things that they would really want to do. Sometimes they don't have the financial wherewithal to help, which some people, sometimes you need the financial, financial capability. So what does that person feel? They feel pain. They don't just say, well, I feel kind. I want to be generous, but I can't. So I, I'm off the hook. They feel pain, literal pain. Abraham, the first Jew, who we inherited our kindness from, and I'll talk more about that later, had just undergone surgery at the age of 100. It's called self-circumcision. He circumcised himself. I don't recommend you do that at home. But Abraham did it at home, and he was ailing Now, Abraham was a man whose life was devoted to chesed, to kindness, to acts of kindness. Chief among his traits of kindness was hachnasas archim, bringing wayfarers, travelers, guests into his home. We'll talk more about that in subsequent weeks. Now, a man who's a 100 years old, who just had gone through surgery and is ailing... It's not exactly in the position where he could invite guests into his home and take care of their needs. Because Abraham didn't get his servants to take care of everything. He did it personally. So what does God do? This is how Rashi explains this. God took the sun out of its sheath. Which means God made it very hot. Like it is in some very hot places. It was terribly hot. And no human being could possibly travel. That way, Abraham wouldn't be disturbed by guests. He would be able to recover and convalesce. So what happened? Abraham, this is how the Torah text with Rashi is understood. Abraham is sitting at the entrance of his tent, and he's in terrible pain and anguish because he doesn't have guests. Not because he just went through circumcision and surgery and he's enduring physical pain, his pain was emotional. So what does God do? He sends, he can't send people because it's too hot for people to travel in the desert. He sends angels disguised as people. So I'm only pointing out one part of the story. We'll go more in depth in this story as we get into the the uh, kindness of, of bringing guests into your home. But what we see from this story is that if you're a kind person at heart and you can't execute your kindness... You're in pain. You have emotional pain. That's the sign that you're really a kind person. So when people tell you, I'm a kind, or that person is a kind person, it may very well be. But you don't know that they're kind until they act kind. And if they can't act kindly because they are in a state where they're limited, they really feel pain. Because it's like a person who has a a secret to tell, and there's no one around to tell the secret to. They're in pain. It reminds me of the joke, this rabbi in middle of Yom Kippur, who sneaks out of the synagogue and he goes to the golf course and he gets a hole in one. And the angels say to God, God, how do you, uh, the rabbi violates Yom Kippur, the holiest day of the year, he goes to play golf and you give him such a reward that he gets a hole in one? So the so the so God says to the angel, who is he going to tell? He wants to tell the whole world that he got a hole-in-one, but he can't. That's painful. Well, for a person who's kind, it's painful that he or she can't experience the kindness and do the kind act. That's number one. Number two, from the term gemilut chasadim, plural, is that kindness has to manifest itself In many ways, it's not just one way. There are so many different types of kindnesses. For example, tzedakah, which we usually translate as charity, but we'll get into that in some other classes, what it really means. But let's keep the conventional translation for now. Giving charity to needy people, needy causes. Giving loans, interest-free welcoming guests into your house, as I mentioned before about Abraham, providing for brides, helping someone who's not able to afford a wedding to be able to get married, visiting the sick, burying the dead, comforting mourners, redeeming captives. Tragically, throughout Jewish history, that became a very important part of Jewish acts of kindness. Jews who were taken captive had to be ransomed. You had to collect money for that. That's another form. And there are probably a few other areas of kindness. Judaism says these are all part of kindness. It's a fascinating thing. There's a a section of the Talmud where it goes through the Hebrew alphabet, Aleph, Bet, Gimel, Galad, and it quotes children who found ways of interpreting the alphabet in a very original way. Aleph, Bet, stands for Aleph Bina, teach, understanding. You should impart knowledge because Aleph, the Hebrew letter Aleph, also has a meaning of learning or teaching. Ulpan, for example, in modern Hebrew is where you learn the language, same root as Aleph. So Aleph and Bet stands for Bina, understanding. Okay, Gimel Dalim Gimel stands for gimol. Bestow dalim the poor. In Hebrew, there are many words for poor. Hebrew is a very concise language. There are not that many words in its vocabulary. The Hebrew vocabulary is probably the smallest of any language. But yet there are about close to ten words for poor. <laughs> I wonder why. <laughs> must must have been a very... Big part of Jewish life, poverty. But all Jews are rich, by the way. <laughs> <laughs> we have so many words for poor, and one of them is dal. Singular dalim is plural. So, what is gimel dalid? In Greek, you have uh, alpha beta. What goes after that? Gamma, gamma, gamma delta. delta. That that comes from the Hebrew gimel dalid. So, what is gimel? Gimel comes from the word ligmol to bestow, to give. And Dalet means the poor, giving the poor. Now, I don't know if this is true or not, but if you take the letter Gimel, it's a hard G, and Dalet is a D. If you put a G and a D together, what word do you get? Good and God, depending on the vowel. It's not so far-fetched to imagine that the word good and God came originally from Gimel Dalet. Gimol dalim, to bestow kindnesses to the poor. Okay, so now we know what very basically Judaism says about kindness, that it's not just the feeling of kindness, but it's the translation of that feeling into action wherever possible, and where not possible... You really feel that you're missing something. you feel a void. Otherwise it's just hot air. You get to justify your existence by saying, "I feel kind, I feel compassion. We have to ask we have to ask ourselves, is that a real genuine feeling or is it just a way? of saying, ah, too bad, you know, someone suffered, someone got killed, too bad. And you go on to your daily life, and it doesn't motivate you to do something. That's not real kindness, not chesed from the point of view of Jewish philosophy. And also, chesed has to be multifarious. It has to engage in all sorts of ways of exercising your kindness, What's behind chesed? Behind chesed, the feeling of kindness, is love. If you really want kindness to be true kindness, genuine kindness, it has to be motivated by love. Because you love the other person, that's why you feel a need to be kind to them. Now, you could be kind without love. You could be kind out of sense of responsibility. We know what... God wants us to be kind, so we're kind. And that's not bad. Not only is it not bad, but the act of kindness will generate love eventually. So you could start with love and then go to kindness, or you could start with kindness and bring it to love. It's like a person who's very happy. So what do they do when they're very happy? They start singing and dancing. What about a depressed person who start singing and dancing, they may become happy. So you can start at either side. You could be happy and then it leads to dancing, or you could dance and it leads to being happy because human beings are affected by their behavior. We are One of the medieval uh, scholars wrote a book called Chinuch, which means education. It's a commentary on the 613 biblical commandments. So, one of his principles that he mentions many times in his work is that human beings are affected by behavior. That's the behavioral idea in in psychology, but it's rooted in Judaism. That your feelings could be created through your actions. So, there are people who are naturally loving people, naturally kind people, and that will lead them to acts of kindness. And there are people who are not. But they do acts of kindness, and that generates their feelings of kindness and their feelings of love. And I know there are people who say, why would I want to do an act of kindness when I don't feel kind, and I don't feel the love? I have to be true to myself. You ever hear that? People say that? That's, number one, wrong. Because if you want to be true to yourself, You have to do the act of kindness because that will make you kind. But even deeper than that, and this takes us to another point that I think is very important, that every human being has kindness in them. Every human being is created with the trait of kindness. It has to be cultivated. It has to be it has just like you want something to grow you put seeds in the ground that's not going to make it grow you have to water it you have to make sure the earth is fertilized you have to do things to make the seed grow we all have that seed of kindness in us some of us have by nature much easier time to reveal it to expose it to to experience it and some people need more effort but everyone has kindness in him or her, everyone. By not doing acts of kindness, because I'm not I don't feel kind, so why should I do an act of kindness? What you're doing is putting another layer of dirt on top of that seed of kindness so it makes you less kind. Every time you act kind, even if you don't feel that way, you expose the kindness even more and make it more possible for you to be kind, to feel kindness. So the argument is I'm not have to be true to myself if I'm not a kind person by nature why would I want to do an act of kindness I'm trying to deceive myself no you're not you're trying to be true to your true self and expose that part of you that is kind I told the story in many classes but it's a very very it's a classic story and a very powerful story The story goes back 200 years And as I mentioned before, unfortunately, Jewish life necessitated collecting money to ransom captives. And one of the types of situations in which Jews were captives is in the olden days, Jews would rent different businesses and properties from the squires, from the noblemen. And they were at the mercy of these noblemen. If they didn't pay their rent, they would be thrown into a dungeon. And if they weren't ransomed, they could just die there. And there was one situation where a group of Hasidic rabbis were in a town, and they were told that there's a terrible tragedy. A Jewish uh, person who rented a, an inn from this local squire, a landowner, a nobleman, a prince, whatever, and he, was not, he hasn't paid his rent in many months. He was in arrears, and he was thrown into a dungeon. And if he's not ransomed, he could just die there. Some, some of them, if they were more favorably disposed, they would give them food. Otherwise, they would just let them die of starvation. These were horrible, cruel people. So the rabbis, the Hasidic rabbis, gathered together, and they said, we have to make a list of all the people in town who have money, and we're going to collect money to ransom these, this captive. And uh, they, they put a list of all the people. One of the rabbis, Rabbi Schneir Zalman, who was the first Chabad Rebbe said to them, you left out the name of the richest Jew in town. They said, we did it by design because he's known to be the biggest miser in town. He doesn't give anything. Well, he does give a copper coin, like a penny. And by now it's so rusty. I don't know if copper becomes rusty or not, whatever it was, but it, 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 it it's... What? It turns green. turns green. Because every, every time people would come to collect for some cause, he would give them this coin, and the people would be so disgusted, they would throw it right back at him, and he would put it away in a cupboard. So the next person would get it and throw and would throw it back until people gave up going to him. What's the point in going to this miser? That's why we didn't put his name on the list. So Rabbi Shneir Zalman says to them, I insist that you go to him, and you go to him first. So they said, we're wasting precious time. Why would we go to someone we know we're going to get nowhere? And Rabbi Schneider Zalman says, look, if you want me to go with you, he was the most articulate of the group, and he could make the best appeal, you have to listen to me. Let, let us go to this miser, and please let me do the talking. So they go to the miser, they knock on the door, he opens up, and he's very honored. These distinguished rabbis are there to visit him. So he says, what can I do for you? I'm honored. He says, well, we're collecting for a cause. We have to. We need so many rubles to ransom this unfortunate Jew. And he says, sure, I'd love to contribute. And he goes to his cupboard and takes out the copper coin and gives it to Rabbi Shneur Zalman. And all the other rabbis are rolling their eyes like, you know, what's the point over here? And Rabbi Shneirzam um, gives them all a dirty look. They, should, they shouldn't they should say anything. And he uh, turns to this miser and he says, Thank you so much. You did such a great mitzvah. You don't know how important every little bit counts. This will go a long way to saving this, this unfortunate Jew. And they're all rolling their eyes and saying, Why are we wasting our time for this? And why is he praising him so much for what he did? And they walk away... <coughs> They make a few steps, and the man says, Rabbi, come back. I think I want to give a little bit more. And he takes out a ruble, and he gives it. And they and he thanks him again profusely, and he, they leave. And he calls them back. To make a long story short, he gave the entire amount, and they ransomed. And the rabbi explained that this man had kindness in him, but because he never had a chance to exercise it, Because every time he gave a little bit, which was the only amount he was really capable of giving based on his own feelings, it was thrown right back in his face. So you never gave him a chance, so it buried his kindness deeper and deeper. And by me giving him praise, that helped to express the kindness that he really felt inside. So that's why, yes, some people are kind by nature and some people are not because their kindness is suppressed so you need acts of kindness to bring out that kindness the importance of kindness cannot be underestimated there's a tractate a part of the Talmud called Ethics of the Fathers and at the very beginning it says the world stands on three pillars Torah study of Torah. Avoda, which translates as service. It's understood to mean among other things, prayer. And the third thing is Gemilut chasadim, acts of kindness, or bestowal of kindnesses. The Midrash says, if not for Gemilut chasadim, the world could not endure for even one instant. If we didn't have kindness the world could not possibly exist. Because the way God created the world, he created haves and have-nots. God could have created everyone should have. Why did he create some people have and some people have not? And this is across the board, because even if you're wealthy, you're a billionaire, that doesn't mean you have everything. There are a lot of things you don't have. And other people who are much poorer than you have things that you don't have. So the world is a composite of haves and have-nots. Why did he do that? Because he wanted us to be his partners in creation. If God created everyone with all the resources and all the gifts that a person could possibly need and want, then nobody would have to give anyone else. So we would just be recipients. We would just be receiving There's nothing more demoralizing than to know that you're always on the receiving end. God wanted us to be equal to Him. How how could we be equal to God? How could we be partners to God? By God giving us the ability to give to others something that they don't have. So the whole world, if you didn't have chesed, if you didn't have kindness, there's no reason for us to exist. He created the world with that built-in concept. There's a fascinating midrash that says that when God was about to create the world, he had some conflicts going on amongst the angels. The angel in charge of truth said, why would you create humans? They're so false. They're so fake. <laughs> There's no, they have no integrity. Why would you want to create them? But then God creates chesed, The the angel of Chesed comes and says, well, one second, people have a lot of kindness. They may not be so honest and truthful, but they're full of kindness. And then the angel of peace comes and says, why would you want to create human beings? They're always fighting. There's always conflict. They, They can't get along. No matter where you are, there's always conflict, whether it's wars, whether it's just small conflicts, but humans are always fighting. And then tzedek, righteousness, comes along and says, but humans do a lot of acts of righteousness. So the only reason we got created, we're here, is because we have the redeeming quality. Yes, we're not so honest. Yes, we're not so peaceful. But at least we have the ability to change the world through our acts of kindness. And that justifies our existence. Eventually, we'll get to truth as well. Eventually, we'll get to peace as well. Because through kindness, that will eventually heal the world and take away all the falseness and all the conflict. So yes, it's an imperfect world, but we make it perfect through acts of kindness. The Mishnah, that's the first work of Jewish law after the Bible, says that well doing good doesn't always get you reward, But when you do acts of kindness you get the dividends in this world and the principle remains for the world to come, for the afterlife. Yes, Judaism does believe in the afterlife, contrary to what a lot of Jews have been taught uh, in their youth. The Talmud says something very powerful, very strong. A person who lacks three traits of kindness, compassion, and modesty, modesty as in humility, is suspect if he is Jewish. It doesn't say if you're lacking in piety and faith in brilliance, if you can't win a Nobel Prize, although Jews are pretty good at winning Nobel Prizes, but it doesn't say if you're lacking in those areas we don't know if you're Jewish. If you don't get high honors and when you graduate, if you don't graduate Phi Beta Kappa, you're not Jewish. No, that's not what makes you Jewish. What makes, what shows that you're Jewish is that you have these three traits. And the Talmud tells a story. It's actually a biblical story, but the Talmud relates it to that story. You know, and we know that the first Jewish king was King Saul. King David became the next king. They were rivals. King Saul had become par- became paranoid in his old age and he wanted to kill King David because threat- he felt that he was threatening his position as king. And uh, he tried very hard to kill him. And king David was fleeing and he had n- n- not eaten in a long time. So he took refuge in the city of Nob. That was the city where the temple was provisionally. And they gave him some food there. And Nob was inhabited by the Gibbonites. Gibbonites was a tribe that tricked Joshua into accepting them into the Jewish fold when they conquered Israel. And Joshua separated them, and they became more like water carriers assisting the priests in the city of Nob. And King Saul wiped them out because when he found out that they helped King David. So when King David became king, this is a whole story and it's not time to go into it. It's a very hard story to understand. King Saul's descendants demanded revenge. That the, I'm sorry, the Gibbonites demanded revenge from King Saul's descendants. And I think it was seven of King Saul's descendants that were hanged. And King David was pleading with them, please, why don't you forgive your, the, 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 uh, what King Saul did to your ancestors. And they said, no, we're not going to forgive. They kept this grudge for so long. And at that point, King David says, you can't really be Jews. If you can't forgive, if you don't have compassion, then you cannot be part of the Jewish community. And he banned intermarriage with them. No Jew was allowed to marry into that group. And the Talmud there says that this is a, points to the fact that if a Jew does not have these three traits, we question that person's Jewishness. Now, of course, that's not a legal definition of being Jewish, mm-hmm. but it just means that you're lacking something fundamental to your Jewish identity. And in that case, it just pointed to the fact that maybe their their inclusion in the Jewish community was a mistake in the first place. But this is a a very powerful way of saying that being kind is a Jewish trait. And it's interesting that organizations that are devoted to helping others, acts of kindness, are disproportionately run by Jewish people. You know, we we have a disproportionate number of Jews who win Nobel Prizes. That doesn't impress me. It's nice to, to know that we're smart. But that doesn't impress me. What impresses me is that there's a disproportionate amount of Jews in every organization that is devoted to helping others. Now, it doesn't mean I agree with every organization and their causes. Some organizations, I think, are, are misguided. When I came to Buffalo, I was on campus in 1972, and uh, we sat in the Norton Union, if you're over 200 years old, you still remember it. And the Norton Union had a bunch of tables for different groups. And virtually every table was run was manned by Jewish people. Not just disproportionate, but in actual numbers, there were more Jews in the Revolutionary Communist Brigade, in the U.S. Labor Party, and in every communist, and every cause, Attica Brothers, every cause was run by probably 90%, 9 out of 10 were Jewish. Now, I don't agree with the Revolutionary Communist Brigade. <laughs> they were Trotskyists. Uh, Trotsky was a horrible, horrible person, was, was, a, was a murderer, a mass murderer of Jews. Not with his own hands, but he didn't care, His let his people massacre Jews. So even though he was Jewish himself, he was a, a real, what they call self-hating Jew. He was a horrible, horrible person, and I don't have any sympathy for Trotskyism but i was impressed that these were people who really believed that they're helping the world because that's part of their jewish identity so it doesn't mean you have to agree with their cause but you have to be impressed that they have this desire to do good the torah begins with acts of kindness very beginning of genesis what is god doing he's clothing adam and eve the end of the torah god is burying moses So the beginning, the end, and in the middle, God is doing acts of kindness. And again, maybe the word God came from the combination of the Gimel Dalet. Where does our kindness come from? Why are we kind? Why do we feel a need to be kind? Okay, very good. But where do we see God's kindness? The very fact that we're alive. The very fact that the world exists. As it says in the book of Psalms, Psalm 89, verse 3, Olam chesed yibaneh. The world was built with chesed. The world was created with kindness. God did not have to create this world. There's no reason he had to create it. Because if you say he had to create it, he's not God. Because God doesn't have needs. If he had needs, that means he's dependent on something else. That means something else exists outside of him and before him that he needs. By definition, God does not have needs. God creates what we can call his needs. Just like he created a stone, he created a need. And what is his need? His need is to do an act of kindness and create a universe. And within that universe to create humanity. So the very essence of creation is a divine act of kindness. And everything that God did in creation of the world, he planted in us. So we too have a need to create a world. How do we create a world? By sustaining the world. So if the world is lacking something and we sustain it and we support it, we are actually building and creating a world. We become divine. We become godly. One other point. I mentioned before that the Hebrew alphabet starts off with Aleph, Bet, which the children, the Talmud quotes, translates as teach, understanding, and then gimol dalim, bestow kindness. I think it's adding a caveat to kindness because kindness can be misinterpreted and misapplied. A drug addict comes to you and says... I need some money and you know that they're going to take that money to buy drugs or an alcoholic is going to take the money to buy alcohol or whatever other vice destructive vice that someone feels dependent on and comes to you and out of sheer kindness you can't bear their pain and suffering and their need you help them and you give them money was that kindness It it satisfied your sense of kindness, but it wasn't really kindness because you're harming the person. You have to be cruel and withhold that from the person. So in order to really be kind, you have to have discernment. You can't just wantonly and indiscriminately give whatever it is a child wants some unhealthy food, and the parent is cruel and lets the child cry because you're not giving that child that unhealthy food. No, the parent feels horrible. The child is crying. I'm not talking about a tantrum in a supermarket where you feel very, uh, you're forced to do it because you're embarrassed. I'm talking about, I'm talking about just a a parent who cares for the child, feels terrible. The child wants it so much and I'm not giving it. That's, not kind, you'd think. You have to use Aleph Bina. You have to have understanding before you can become an actor of kindness. Because kindness has to be discriminate. You have to know to whom you're kind. Angels are monolithic. They're, the angel of kindness doesn't know about discipline, restriction, Humans are are technicolor. We're, we we have many different colors and hues. We have kindness, but we also that's called Chesed. We also have Gvura. Gvura means strength, restraint, judgment, and we have to be judgmental. Judgmental in the sense that we're discriminate. We we know when it's right to be kind and when it's wrong to be kind. Because ultimately, if you're too kind when it's not right, you're unkind. So true kindness, human kindness, has to be predicated on understanding. So that's why, before you get to Gimel Dalit, you have to have Alev Bino, you have to have understanding. You have to have discernment, the power to understand what's right and what's wrong. Okay, so so far, to summarize what we've done is that Judaism believes in kindness, not as a feeling, but as an act and all sorts of actions not just I'm kind in one area so I don't have to be kind in another area i once uh, was heard from a federation person that amongst all classes of donors the the class that gives the lowest the the, the smallest amount to charity and this is not to offend anyone are doctors Present company excluded. (laughs) Uh, In other words, proportionate to their income. Business people give the most, I think, and doctors give the least. In other words, if they make the same amount, everything else being the same, they make the least. So I always try to figure out, I always try to figure out why. Why do physicians feel that they don't have to give as much as others? So, I spoke to a doctor who, and I asked him this question, and he said it's because we're helping people all day. And that's true. They're saving lives, they're helping people all day. So, they feel if I'm already doing so much good all day long in my profession, why do I have to also contribute the way others have to contribute? I'm not saying that they don't contribute, and there are many exceptions to this rule. And I know some of those exceptions are in this room, so I'm not, I'm not insinuating anything. But I'm just saying this is a statistic. That's a federation deals with statistics, and they, met, they came up with that statistic. The point of gemilut chasadim, acts of kindness, plural, is to underscore that you can't just say I'm kind in one area, therefore I don't have to be kind in another area. We have to be kind in every area, wherever it's wherever it's possible. Obviously, if you're not a doctor and you want to heal someone, you should probably not do that because that's not your capability. But wherever you have the capability, you can't just say, I'm doing one thing. You have to do it all. As one uh, Jewish leader once said, there's good news and there's bad news. The good news is you can start wherever you want. The bad news is that you have to do it all. Anyhow. Well, it's, bo- it's both good news and good news, because Judaism says we are capable of doing it all. We just have to start somewhere. Now, when we talk about kindness, there are three objectives of kindness. The first objective is taking care of the other. We see someone in need, someone is poor, someone is sick, someone is incapable of doing what he needs to do for himself or she needs to do for herself, if it's a needy organization or whatever it is, you have to focus on the needs of others. But then there are some selfish benefits to kindness. The self-refinement. Everyone everyone consciously or subconsciously wants to become a better person. Nobody says I wouldn't, I wouldn't mind becoming a better person. Some people don't do very much to, to become a better person, but everyone appreciates. And the proof is when sometimes you don't want to do something, volunteer or give charity or whatever it is, a good thing, an act of kindness, and you do it anyhow, do you regret it? I didn't really want to do it. I'm sorry I did it. Or you, ah, I feel good. I'm glad I did it in the end. Do you know anyone who does an, a good act reluctantly, and then feels bad about doing it? No. No one does that. Everyone, even when you do it reluctantly, once you do it, you feel good. Oh, I, I feel good I did it. Doing acts of kindness makes you a better person, refines you, raises you up. And that's a very strong motivation to be kind. Self-refinement, self-enhancement. And the third point The third point is connected to the second point. It's a sense of fulfillment and joy. You just feel, I made a difference in this world. What's the worst feeling a human being can have? I think, is the sense that I don't matter. I have no purpose. I'm illegitimate. The greatest sense that a person could have is, I am I'm needed. I have a purpose. Self-validation is the most fulfilling and joyous feeling a person can have. If you can go a week and you didn't accomplish anything to help others in some way, in your profession, in your hobby, or whatever it is that you do, you feel miserable. Why? Because you sense your life is empty. I never can understand people who retire... And they go to Florida to play golf and tennis all day, seven days a week. I never understood how they could live with themselves. How could you How could you feel good about yourself when you're not contributing? And I know people say, well, I did that all my life. Now I want to take it. Yeah, you can rest. No one says you can't rest and you can't have some leisure. But a, a human being has to feel they can't live a week without having made a difference in this world. So doing an act of kindness brings you to self-fulfillment and joy. So there are three objectives. You need to take care of others. It makes you a better person. And it gives you a sense of validation and fulfillment. But the emphasis should always be on the first point. That should be the first and foremost. Not about your own feelings and your own validation and your own refinement. That should always be secondary. Primary objective should always be, what can I do for the other? Whenever we do a mitzvah, before, let's say, we eat matzah, on Passover there's a special blessing thanking God for the opportunity to do the mitzvah before we put on tefillin we say a blessing before we light candles we say a blessing before we hear the shofar on Rosh Hashanah we say a blessing thanking God for the opportunity to do the mitzvah before we sit in the sukkah before we take the lulav and the etrog, before we do any of these mitzvahs before we put on the talit we make a blessing but when you give charity tzedakah or you help a person, help an old lady cross the street, the proverbial uh, act of kindness, you don't make a blessing beforehand. Why don't you thank God for the opportunity to do a mitzvah before you help someone across the street, or before you give charity, before you lend, any of the acts of kindness. So one of the explanations we're given is that then you're focusing on yourself. Ah, I have such an opportunity to do a mitzvah. God Thank you, God, for giving me this opportunity. Meanwhile, you're carried away with your own importance and your own spiritual growth, and the poor man is starving. (laughs) No, think about the need of that person. Don't procrastinate. Don't delay, even if it's to become more spiritually heightened. That's not your objective, primarily. Your objective is to help the other person. Don't focus on your spirituality, when you help someone. Once you help them, you can go back and think about your spirituality, but not when you're helping. The main thing is the objective, the end result of helping that person. Don't focus that much on your own feelings. We're living in a generation where everyone is obsessed with their own feelings. Everyone is talking, talks about how they feel, and yes, that's important, that's good. But that comes after you did the act of kindness. Well, Sometimes we do an act of kindness because it's another feather in our cap. And we focus on our own selfish spiritual needs to the detriment of the person who we're supposed to help. And this is a, this is a cute, it's a sad story, but it's, it's, it's a joke, really. So don't take it too seriously. Here was this very wealthy man who had a big party. He throws a big party. And at the end of the party, there's a lot of food left over. So the next day, in those days they didn't have refrigeration. He says to his wife, there's a lot of food left over. It's, not a, it's a mitzvah not to waste food. So, and there's a poor man living down the street. His name is Yankel. Why don't you bring some of the food and give it to Yankel so we'll have some gourmet food? So she says, but I can smell the food is not so good. It not, not, may not be healthy. And the husband gets very upset at his wife. What do you mean? It's a mitzvah not to waste food. Bring it to Yankel, and we'll do another mitzvah. We'll help a poor man have some good food. So she obediently brings the food to, to Yankel. The next day she comes to her husband and says, "I have terrible news. Yankel is very sick from food poisoning. He says, "Wow, I have an opportunity to do a mitzvah. I could visit the sick." And he runs to Yankel and he visits him and he tries to make him feel good, and he feels so good about himself. I just did another mitzvah. The next day, his wife comes. I have terrible news. Yankel passed away. Yankel has no money to pay for his funeral. He calls up the funeral director, and he says, I'm going to pay for the whole funeral. Make sure it's a very big funeral. Invite all the people in town to come. And he pays for everything. And he's one of the, the pallbearers, and he's digging the grave, and he's covering the... He does all of it. He wants to do a mitzvah. And then of course after the dead is buried you have to comfort the mourners so he comes and he comforts the widow and the orphans and he puts himself into it and then after that he a uh, widow has no means of income and the orphans are young so he gives them a nice beautiful donation then he turns to his wife he says you almost messed me up if i hadn't given the food the 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 rotten food to that Yankel i wouldn't have had all these mitzvahs of visiting the sick and burying the dead and comforting the mourner and helping the widows and the orphans this is a, a joke obviously but the point it illustrates in a very uh in a very exaggerated way how someone was so preoccupied with his own role in the mitzvah that he forgot what the purpose of the mitzvah is the purpose was not to make his ego bigger to stroke his own ego It was to help the poor person. If he would have given his wife money to buy fresh food for Yankel, that would have been the mitzvah, not to give him the leftovers. Anyhow, that just illustrates the point in a very extreme way. I think we'll we'll continue. Uh, I just want to summarize everything and then we'll continue the... uh, the biblical basis, the more technical parts, the rabbinic basis, and then we're going to get into the specific areas, uh, the differences between Jewish kindness and secular notion of kindness, and the difference between Jewish kindness and other religions. Uh, And then we'll get into the specific areas of kindness, what Judaism says about tzedakah, charity, loans, hospitality, and so on, other areas of kindness that I mentioned before. So, if it's important that when we leave a class, we come back, come out with the central points that what's, what is that, what's the message there? (laughs) Sometimes we have to transcend the limits of time. I think the highlights of the point is that, that kindness is the acts of kindness that really prove that the feelings of kindness are genuine when they translate into action and that kindness has to be multifaceted and that kindness is something that is born we're born with kindness it's part of who we are because God is the ultimate source of kindness and he planted it within us so that every human being, regardless of how they act, was born with that potential for kindness. You know, there are people who who believe, and some religions focus on that, that human beings are born evil. And we have to work to change that. And there's some biblical basis for that. In Genesis it says, That the inclination of the heart of man is wicked from his youth. That's in the context of the flood. So it sounds like it's saying that we are born evil. No, that's not what it says. It doesn't say we're evil from the time we're born. We're actually born with an an inborn sense of goodness, but we also develop a, when in our youth, desires for things that are unhealthy. And the way it works, so I just want to elaborate a little briefly on this. A child... we we always refer to a child as being so innocent pure and innocent yet children act in very very selfish ways a child will demand I want to be fed and I want to be fed now no delay if an adult would behave that way if an adult comes into the restaurant and says I want my food and I want it now the bouncer will get rid of you you know you, you have to wait your turn And a child behaves that way. A child sees another kid playing with a toy, and all of a sudden the child says, that's mine, but it isn't yours, but now it is. And you grab, the child grabs it away. So why are we so, why do we think children are so great if they're they're selfish and they do things that no adult would ever feel comfortable and would get away with? The answer is a child is born with a natural soul, just like an animal. An animal is an innocent creature. You can't call an animal a bad animal. You could call the animal a lot of other names, but you can't call it a bad animal because the animal has no free choice. The animal is governed by instinct. You could train an animal, but it's not capable of overriding the uh, training and saying, you know, today I decided that I came to a conclusion that it's a better way of behavior not to listen to my master. Uh, the animals don't have free choice. A child also is a product of a natural soul. but it's, So it's very pure. It's very innocent. If you remain that way when you become an adult, then you become evil. If, uh, if the selfishness and the needs of a child transfer into their adulthood, that when you're 40 years old, you act like that child... You're called a narcissist. You're 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 a you're a horrible person because you respect no one else. Your needs are paramount and they trump everyone else's needs. That is not that's evil. So the child is innocent. The adult who acts childlike could become evil. So that's what the Torah means. When you're young, you already develop that selfishness. But you have to then, we also have a godly spark in us, a godly soul that enables you to overcome your natural tendencies. And that's what happens when you become an adult. There's a conflict between the two, the two inclinations and you have to work on making your understanding that comes from your divine soul overpower the inclination of the animal or the natural soul. So we are inherently pure and good. The world started in paradise, not in some other place. The world is inherently good. This is a very basic Jewish belief that humanity is good. The world is good. Things got messed up. And we believe that God wanted it that way, that the world should experience negativity. So we have a role in changing the world to make it a better world. Otherwise, if God didn't want the world to have negativity in it. It wouldn't. He wants the negativity in order for us to grow through it, transform it, and make the world a good world. So, getting back to what I was saying before, humans are essentially good creatures and we could mess our lives up and cover that up, but the way to reveal that goodness is through acts of goodness. That's And the objective should always be, first and foremost, the needs of the other rather than our own benefits. Now, it doesn't mean we shouldn't focus on benefits, but that should always be secondary.